you know, I just feel like I am not smart enough to talk about this play. Hello, everyone, and welcome to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And welcome back to another week of interesting conversation, as I'm sure it will be. This week, we are talking about Wit. It is a play by Margaret Edson. It's the 1999 Pulitzer Prize winning play. And um, it was performed a couple times. It was performed out in California first. Uh, it was its first performance at the South Coast Repertory Theater in California. Um, it was uh, then... Officially opened at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, and then made its way to the New York stage in September of 1998. And then at, and that was at the MCC Theater. And then it, uh, during its Pulitzer run, made it to the Union Square Theater in New York for the 1999 run of this play. This is the, uh, the first play by Margaret Edson. Um, it is her, yeah, her first ever play that she wrote, which is just fascinating that it went on to win the Pulitzer. Um, and uh, now she, or at, at the time of the publication, she lived in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's a bit of interesting trivia for you as well. Yeah. So the play follows Vivian Baring. Vivian is a professor of medieval poetry, um, especially the poetry of John Donne. And she is diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer. And the play is really about her grappling with her treatment of that cancer. The The main trio of characters is, you know, Vivian is the main character. And then she has Dr. Kellekian um, and uh, Jason, who's a resident student um, uh, at the is cl a clinical fellow. And so it's sort of about the three of them. And then she has a nurse as well, her primary care nurse, Susie. And between the four of them, that they occupy the, the most of the dialogue in the play. So it's not really about her life as a professor so much as it's about her her looking back maybe on her life as a professor in treatment at the hospital and the play is sort of built in a series of scenes that she narrates so vivian is she's sort of the it's interesting she is telling us about the play as the play occurs uh so she's not she's not a typical protagonist unaware of dramatic the dramatic structure in which she's in she actually talks about how the, this is a play format rather than you know one of her classes or this is a play format rather than a poem or rather than an essay or whatever so she's the character herself is aware she's in a play about her own life and has some comments to make about that you know the classic sort of breaking the fourth wall um and so she guides us through the process of her being treated for cancer. It's a it's a strong treatment. That's um, gosh, they use an adjective in the play. I can't quite remember all the time. Harsh treatment, maybe. Um, and mm -hmm. it it's all a, it's she gets the full dose of a of a heavy set of cancer drugs for eight months, eight cycles of chemotherapy. And it's about how she struggles with that. And there's lots of scenes that cancer patients and their families will probably recognize as kind of commentary on uh, what 
having cancer is like. Interestingly, I watched an interview with the playwright just before this, and she talked about how one of the reasons why she was able to write this play, why she set this conversation in a hospital, was that she actually worked in a hospital. Um, her degree is in like Renaissance art or something like that. Um, she went on to work in a hospital. And so uh, what you'll recognize for those of you who spend any time in a hospital is how precise the use of language and scenes and characters is in really real life to what a hospital is really like. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a, a, a couple different scenes where she is kind of being subjected to the hospital jargon of Dr. Kalecki and and, and the uh, fellowship uh, student Jason, and uh, you you get you definitely get this feeling that this is. First of all, the playwright is a highly intelligent individual who knows quite a bit about this whole process. Um, yeah, oh man. Just, just to be able to write this stuff alone. Um, but then also also you get the kind of juxtaposition of the character of Vivian Baring, who is uh, the main protagonist and the narrator of this piece. Um Though she is a highly intelligent individual, these—I mean, this is this is a different branch of intelligence, and that feeling of being lost within the context of hearing all these medical terms flowing over you—you you get to share that with someone who is uh, arguably a much higher IQ than certainly me as a reader was. Oh man, yeah, the playwright herself has to be so stinking smart to write a character that's this smart. I mean, even just. Just the character's use of language straight out of the gate is so yeah. – I mean you, you you have to – you get a sense I think of the playwright's grasp of language for her to be able to write this language for a person. It, she speaks so eloquently, so fluently with such a high vocabulary and it doesn't seem like showing off. It's clear this is how she talks. Um, because of her high level of education and her high degree of intelligence. And one of the things that happens to her through the course of her treatment is that some of that starts to slip away. She is she's unable at times to maintain that level of uh, conversation and that level of um, fluidity in her speech um, when she's experiencing this you know, incredible physical trauma of being treated so harshly for cancer. Yeah, you get to see kind of uh, you get to see a juxtapose, too, because she constantly has these breakaway scenes where she becomes the the uh, narrator, uh, the kind of over above everything narrator. And so she will return even in the midst of kind of her the last couple months of her treatment where she is slowly becoming more dependent and uh, a little bit more begins to begins to balance the the reality of, of her situation more on her own shoulders. She becomes a little bit more needy as a character. Um, than when she starts. At the start, she is just kind of this fierce force. I think she calls herself, I am a force. Um, and by the end, she is kind of... Yeah. And by the end, you get to see her kind of become a little bit more in need of some comfort in this situation. But then it's juxtaposed by this highly intelligent narrator that is the same woman uh, stepping out of the scene and kind of commenting on her own situation, almost uh, derogatorily commenting on her own gibbering in one scene, I think she says. Um so yeah, which is a really unique kind of way. And really I wanted to I wanted to tap your brain a little bit here Jacob uh, especially about the use of the breaking of the fourth wall throughout the play. Um so far in this series we've pretty much done very naturalistic plays versus this one which is uh, not really fully naturalistic especially in how it tells the story. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's really um, really opposed to the sort of straight play conventions, um, and I, you know, I just feel like I am not smart enough to talk about this play. I, I think <laughs> I think because the character is so smart and she's so intimidating in her intelligence, she refuses to let any slip of you know, any slip in your cleverness and your level of conversation in your brains with her students, with the other doctors, she refuses to let anything slide and it, it, it gets into you. I mean, she's not a real person, <laughs> so I don't know what I'm afraid of, but gosh, I feel like if I mess something up when talking about this play, Vivian Baring is going to give me a big old slap on the rips and call me an idiot. <laughs> I know. So, oh and my that goodness. is what's so great about the character and maybe what you could not have captured without the breaking of the fourth wall. She is so in conversation with the audience so fluidly. It really, there's really, it's pretty much a back and forth between a scene with multiple characters and then a long scene of narration of some sort. Sometimes she pretends to be in a classroom. Sometimes she's really um, just just sort of talking about herself in relationship to her treatment, but it just goes back and forth. So scene, narration, scene, narration, scene, narration. So there's a lot of narration and it's not even narration. It's really just sort of conversation with the people in the room. And it's through that that you get to know her especially what she thinks about herself. So much of the narration or whatever you want to call it, the conversation she has with the audience is about herself. It's, she's sort of, it's like she's giving one last lecture on her own life. And on the one hand, that's very interesting. It's very interesting to hear people talk about themselves, especially people you know very well. When they talk about themselves, I find myself shaking my head. I'm like, you're not really like that. It's interesting <laughs> that you think that about yourself. I don't know that anyone yeah. else who knows you thinks that about yourself. And so <laughs> it, you kind of, you sometimes get that sense with Vivian that even despite how smart she is, occasionally she says things and you go, I wonder if anybody else thinks that about you or if just you do. Yeah. Yeah, certainly like that that totally applies to kind of the way that she treats uh, she kind of mirrors a poet, a classic poet in that way. Like you a lot of times you wonder the same thing about some of the classic poets who kind of go through these existential crises and introspection about themselves. She is very much a John Donne like character. Like she she uh harkens back to the uh the epilogue of or the final poem of John Donne uh more than once in this play. And she, I mean, this, I, I absolutely, I think you're right. This is kind of her own writing of the capstone of her life. The, the final punctuation on her journey through life into this moment. And, and, and yet you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And yet she claims at the beginning that she's an unwilling participant or, or maybe that's not quite right. Maybe mm. not unwilling, um, uh, but she, yeah, she says, I have been at best an unwitting accomplice. So not unwilling, but an unwitting accomplice. Um, as if right. she's she's being forced somehow to tell this story. <laughs> and she's just sort of along for the ride for mm -hmm. whatever reason. And that's a very interesting structure because 
you know, you get to this sort of mind warping place where Vivian will say something like, um, you know, if I were writing this play, I would write it like this. And it's very funny yeah. in some of those scenes. But then you get to this place where you try to think about that and you're like, the playwright, <laughs> so Margaret <Yeah>. Edson, <laughs> is writing a character saying what that character would do if that character were – so she is writing – another person saying what she would do if that character were writing it instead of her. And it's this weird (laughs) circle of mind warping. It's so weird to have a character comment on the playwright. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. Looney Tunes. Like, I mean, you sometimes get that in those old (laughs) cartoons, Daffy Duck or, or whoever will say, well, the animation in this is terrible. And they'll like, look up and the animator's hand will appear out of the sky. You remember some of those old Like a pencil. You almost get that sense. I'm like, you're talking to the playwright, but the playwright is saying, is writing the words for you to say back to them. Yeah, and you almost get the, I mean, you get the feeling that she is, for so much of the play, it feels like she's the playwright. So those jarring moments when she kind of steps out and reveals that this is uh, not the way she would write it definitely jar you. I'd like to talk about kind of the way, the two different ways that that uh, manifests itself. Certainly it reflects, uh, I think it definitely reflects on her journey as as a, as a cancer patient and as someone receiving treatment for it, um, but also... because she says it, you know, more than one time within the play, I wonder how much it reflects on her own life uh, before uh, this cancer treatment as well, this inciting incident of the play, her own journey. uh, You know, she, she plays this, this, this professor who is super intelligent and has achieved acclaim. She talks about how many publications she has and, and the accolades that she has. And, yeah, she does a lot of bragging like that, which sort of, you know, it, it feels like bragging and, and you don't know whether it's exaggerated or not. But then other characters talk about her and you get the sense that she's probably right about the amount of respect yeah. and acclaim she has. Yeah, it's a, it, it seems to be a well-earned level <laughs> of respect. But but then to still know that this character still feels like she has made it th- you know, kind of if that if that feeling applies to her previous life as well, um, it certainly humanizes her a whole bunch because, you know, most of us are just kind of <laughs> pushing through life flailing about until something happens. <laughs> and um, and that that striving, even in the midst of uh, academic and uh, professional success to still f- feel like you have power over the direction in your life is certainly a very uh, emulate emulatable feeling. Right. This is a story about somebody who has worked incredibly hard. You know that about her for sure, that she has blood, sweat and tears made herself as smart as she is. And through partially how her parents raised her, but then also just her grit in high school, college, undergrad, you know, her undergraduate, then her graduate school, she she has really worked hard to achieve what she's got in life. And, you know, before the onset of the play and the onset of the cancer, she's sort of at the top of the world. She's, you know, in for what she is, a professor of English, it probably does not get any better than that professionally. And yet the other part of life that there's the professional and then there's this personal life 
is so abysmally empty as far as we know. Which we see in kind of some of the exam scenes that she's taking. Uh, the uh, Jason, the the fellow, the younger doctor who is kind of around for a mu- much of the show, uh, he's taking kind of her her uh, history and background information, and you know he hits all the big points. Is there anyone we need to notify? And she says, "You don't need to worry about that." Do you yeah, have a, a family? Times or- she said they ask her if there's anybody she should call, and she says, "No, there's not." Yeah. And and then, uh, you know, the one person who kind of shows up from her world is her very, very, uh, very old 90 year old plus uh, professor who she worked with uh, after undergraduate. So, I mean, it's 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 clear that. You know, this 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 level of success has come at some sort of cost um, and, and we begin to discover what that cost is as we go through the play. I'm going to say something that I, that might be unpopular. Um, the play reminds me of a Christmas carol. The, <laughs> I and that's uh, obviously, you know, there's so there's so Ooh. many differences and Christmas carols more sure, of a parable sure. and this is a very real play, you know, and all that blah 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 blah. blah. But this sort of through line of somebody who has achieved much success at the expense of the their personal relationships comes to for whatever reason in Christmas Carol it's very magical in wit it's very real um for whatever reason they come to the point where those decisions are challenged and they are forced to reflect on who they've become and why and at what cost they are where they are. And, you know, because the Christmas Carol is a parable, Scrooge turns around and becomes a new person. And that may not happen to Vivian at the end of this play, because this is a, maybe a more real take on that core, that core journey of reflection. This is a play, I think, about reflection. You know, yeah. why, where am I now? And is, is what has made me who I am worth it given what has ended up happening to me, happening to me. You know, if she could have known, if Vivian could have known when she was an undergrad or a graduate student that at whatever age she was going to die of ovary of, you know, late stage ovarian cancer and there was going to be nobody there for her. Would she have done something differently? Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't know. Like I don't this know character, either. Like it's it's not clear in this, which is I mean I mean certainly I I actually really like that comparison. Um, at least within the construct of you know a character who sacrifices their personal relationships for the professional uh, advancement. Um, certainly it is a, it is a, a similar story, but I, I I think your your dissertation or your dissection of it into a parable versus real life is is very poignant in that. Um. But I don't, you know, you don't get the feeling that she has this come to, uh, come to Jesus or come to the angel of whatever past moment of, uh, of like, yes, I should have done my life differently. I don't know that she would have wanted to not study, you know, John Donne and all of, all of those poems and be a part of that rich history. It's not clear at the end. She is certainly mournful of the fact that she is without people, uh, without a support uh, within this time, but she never like gives up 
her 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 own love for the romantic or I'm sorry the religious poems of of John Donne. Right. Yeah. The closest she comes to any sort of reflection uh, of where she's at, of you know what what's going on, is there is a scene where Jason, who's the resident. He's the clinical fellow. Um, you know, he's the student of Dr. Kellican, and he's taking care of Vivian. He's monitoring her ins and outs, and we'll probably need to talk about him in a minute here. But he has a scene with her where she, he comes in to do her to do her intake, and she tries to kind of engage him in conversation. And at the end of the scene, she realizes how similar they are that they both kind of thrown off personal relationships and in-person interaction in favor of being the best at their discipline. And her reflection on that is how ironic is it that the young student who has thrown all of this away um, is leaving the room and the old, you know, the old woman, the old professor who's thrown all of that away is wishing that he had been more human, even though I am the kind of person that isn't more human in her life. Gosh, she says yeah. it so much better than I did. <laughs> yeah, but that's so true. You know, you, so yeah, let's transition into Jason just a little bit here. Jason is this, this fellow, um, not, you know, not in the colloquial term, but he is, he is, uh, uh, understudy to Harvey Kalekian, who is the doctor in charge of Vivian's treatment. And, yeah, and he um, is, he, he is a student. He wants to be a researcher. And the, as yeah. part of his medical training, they're requiring him to do clinical, to do a clinical fellowship in in, in residence. And yeah, he's, he's like sort forced of to not, have relationships. Yeah, he's not happy about that. He even says <laughs> it's sort of a waste of time for researchers. His point is, well, they just want to teach us how to explain things simply to normal people as if we're the problem. He, even, it's some, he says something <laughs> almost like that, as if researchers yeah. are the problem. It's all these troglodytes who don't understand yeah. that are the real problem. Yep. And he kind of adopts this manner throughout the play, which is why we, you know, we kind of, he, he gets abrasive, honestly, reading him. It's like, how are you this way to someone who is dying, who you are pumping maximum doses of a radioactive chemical through every month? How do you how do you feel this way? But you're so right that, of course, like that symmetry of her being aligned with this individual who even took her class and who she yeah, gave it a minus to, which they bring up for, for a moment when he was attempting to get all A's across these different classes, he kind of takes the, <laughs> the uh, pseudo prize yeah, of an a minus from her class. He, he says he's going to take the top, the hardest three classes at the university um, and try to get A's in all of them. And her class on John Donne uh, is, excuse me, is, is one of those hard classes. And he, he tells them he got a success. He actually did get an A in all three classes. It's they, you know, he, in the same way that Vivian does sort of brags about his intellect. Um, yeah. And it's that, you know, they're so aligned, like Jackson says, and there's that one moment for Vivian where she has the introspection and she says, what I want from him is the same thing that I lack that, that desire for personal contact. We both lack it. And it's so interesting that now I finally want that from someone else and he can't <laughs> give it to me. 
Yeah, and he's, I mean, he is not a character without merit either. He clearly, I mean, he re, he regurgitates in one of his different boasts a good chunk of the truth that she is saying about John Donne's poetry. It's clear that he learned something something from the class and his, and his you know, his goals are all noble goals. He wants to, re, he wants to destroy cancer. He wants to understand it and treat it. And, but, but the way that he goes about his goals, the same way Vivian went about her goals, in in some ways, uh, winds up hurting some of the people who come to rely on him. Okay, that that's interesting. Let's drill down on that. So, Vivian and Jason are both aiming to be the best in their field. Vivian is she is now an older woman and has achieved. She says she's the best in her field several times, um, and you get the sense she's probably not alone in thinking that. That she is the top in that field. Jason is just starting out, but it's also aiming to be the best in their field. Both of their fields have potential to be a great, a, a great help. Help's not maybe the right word. A, a great use, a, a great part of human experience, right? Jason obviously is in cancer research to cure cancer. What a noble thing to pursue. Vivian, a little more complicated, poetry, art, but ultimately, you know, the enlightenment of humanity and specifically the poetry that she studies is about the relationship between life and death and the spiritual realm and heaven. And so to bring some of that understanding to humanity is a great thing for humanity. They're both, I think you're right, Jack, pursuing these noble things the question, one of the questions for me and maybe of the play is, ultimately, why do they pursue those things? I don't get the sense from Jason that he is especially interested in curing cancer for everyone else. And I don't get the sense from Vivian that she's especially interested in bringing insight to people about life and death. It seems to me that she's more interested in winning or bringing insight for the just so she can be the one like it's not insight about the theme of the poetry. She wants to bring insight about the words because that's where the cleverness is. She even says, you know, to scholars, to people who are brilliant, (laughs) poetry like this is a chance to see how good you are. Yes. And so they're both in these noble pursuits, but they're not maybe pursuing the noble part of those pursuits. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it echoes in Jason even further than you went with it. Like the, I think uh, you, he has this line about when he's explaining why he wants to research cancer, he almost speaks of cancer as the superior force in the yeah, world. He calls it awesome. <laughs> Actually, yeah. she calls it awesome, but he just agrees. Yeah, yep. And 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 I believe that in that in that instance, it was kind of a powerful use of the true meaning of the word because cancer is both awful and awesome. And he in in describes it in that way. This 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 cell continues to create beyond. There's there's no reason why it should that we know of, and it continues to create and create. And what it what it does is malignant and awful and terrible in terms of the human perspective. But he has divorced himself from the morality of it, and almost seems like he wants to like dig into it just to understand this complex 
over the top, uh, extra bit of knowledge that is not available to everyone. So it's not, I agree. I don't think he's really doing it out of like, he's, he definitely doesn't have like a family motivation. Like you would expect a character like this to have like so-and-so and my family died of cancer when I was six and I've been chasing it my whole life. It seems like it is just always been the thing that he thought was challenging enough for his intellect to try to conquer. Yeah, exactly right. That I agree. It, it seems for both of those two characters that what they're doing is about finding something that is intellectually stimulating enough because they're both so smart and they've worked hard to be that smart. But th- this is where they are, that it's not about the art uh, or it is about the art of the poetry for Vivian, but it, maybe it's not about the important themes. You know, it's for her, John Donne poetry, I, I think, is not about life and death. You know, maybe for a normal reader, you can read a piece of poetry about death and learn something about death or learn what the poet wants to say about death. For Vivian, she reads this poetry and she gets to learn how smart she is by pulling it apart and figuring out exactly how all the mechanisms work together. But the human part of it, what you get out of the experience of poetry, I don't know if it's there for her, which is interesting for a professor of poetry. That Mm -hmm. the, I don't know, the experience of poetry seems somewhat lost on her is that a crazy thing to say I don't think so I think what I I think would be really interesting to me both as a director and an, as an audience member is to to try to ask the actor playing Vivian how she wants to deal with that because I think the opportunity is there I think she well I think what is interesting is, is it is clear that she was not through her career moved by the poetry of it Um, I think I think what might be true is as she nears more and more what the poetry is talking about in her own life, she begins to understand more and more from it. And she begins to feel the emotion of the poetry more and more as it applies to her own life, as she comes into contact with the same sort of uh, conundrums that Dunn was was dealing with. So as you know, I would I would at least encourage the actor playing playing Vivian to grapple with this idea of 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 slowly realizing throughout the course of this two hour set of scenes when you start to have this dawning realization of the of the the deeper meaning of some of this poetry that you get you get more revelation Vivian gets more revelation on the work that she has spent her entire life doing as a result of this this crux of horrifying uh, a, a capstone to her life. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's no accident, of course not, but it's no accident that the poetry that she is the most expert, you know, the the best expert in is poetry about life and death. It's no accident that that's the character that that Margaret Edson chooses to be the person who experiences a real battle for life and death. Not, uh, you know, this isn't a poem anymore. Now it's real. 
And what's interesting, I, I love this scene. She has a scene, um, maybe middle, early middle of the play, where she is she goes back in time and plays herself as a graduate student studying under uh, you know a graduate professor named E.M. Ashford, Professor Ashford. And Professor Ashford says something like, you know, she's she's kind of going after Vivian for producing a, a paper that was not good enough. And she says, you know, this isn't a game. It's medieval poetry or it's metaphysical poetry. It's not a, it's not a joke. Uh, you know, you got to take this seriously. And, and it's interesting that there's that, there's that line. And then of course, you know, it's a, so this metaphysical poetry is about life and death and that's not a game to study the poetry. It's serious business, <laughs> these poems. And then you get to, the play is about not just a poem about somebody's life and death, but an actual battle for someone's real life. That's not a game. You know, poetry yeah. art is as beautiful as it is, is not the same thing as life and death. It's, you know, it's more commentary on it. And mm -hmm. she, she start, I don't know, does she start to learn more about the poetry or she doesn't seem, you know, she doesn't at least provide to us any more insight on what she's learning about the deeper meaning of these struggles for life and death. I don't think there's not at least an obvious scene. There is there is one element, and I don't know which way it goes, but I will bring it to your bring it to your attention. I think because it's really, uh, really applicable to this moment in the conversation. Re she recites the uh, the bit of poetry that she was working on in that scene with her professor. Uh, and she she recites it with uh, the, the scene between her and her professor. Uh, the professor critiques the uh, translation that she wound up having to use because the good translation was out of the library. And the professor Ashford critiques the uh, the gratuitous punctuation within it. There's exclamation marks all over the place and semicolons and all sorts of stuff all over and um, and capitalization. And she 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 uh, is not a fan of it, uh, probably appropriately. Then. She re but she repeats the that uh, punctuation version of that poem getting along towards the end of the play. Uh, she she uh, goes about saying you know capital D and speaks out the the punctuation within the within the poem. So I don't I don't know exactly. I, I wanted to bring it up because it, it, I think it could go either way in that you're moment. You're talking is about. She, so let me see that I, that I know what you're talking about, Jack. So this is right before yeah. she's about to die. Um, spoilers: she dies, but that's not really spoiling anything because she tells you at the yeah, beginning she, of the play that she's she. She says die. it at the beginning of the play. <laughs> so you know, spoilers for the first two pages of the play. So she does die, and this is right before she's going to die. If I'm right, Jackson, and her it's really her final lines uh before the real death happens and she re she recites this poem with the incorrect punctuation and then the the stage directions are, are something like she realizes that that what she said that 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 it's not right or something like that yeah I think it says she she realizes it that realizes that this doesn't work and and right oh, before yeah, right. that she says yeah and she so the difference between the two versions of that snippet of poetry, and this is a pretty important, um, you know, pivotal sort of piece about the poetry in the play is, um, so there's that version that Jack's talking about, the incorrect version, where there's exclamation points and semicolons and all this extra punctuation. 
in the text, in the version of the text that her, that Vivian's professor, Professor Ashford, wants her to use, the punctuation is just a comma. And the professor's point is that this is more true to the poem because part of what the final bit of the poem is about is that only a comma, only a, a small breath separates life and death, as if the, the punctuation itself is part of the theme of the poetry. So Vivian then at the end uses the incorrect version of the of the poem and realizes in the stage directions that it is not right. So if what I think you're saying, Jackson, is that she realizes that what the that the correct version of the poem is true to life that life is in fact only separated from death by a breath yes yep and and, and i think that and, and she also she adds so much weight to this moment which is why i bring it up she says that this is the last of my coherent lines this yeah. is the line she says right before it and she is so there's so much attention being drawn to this moment where she has this certain i th maybe she's already had this revelation but certainly she has it again in this moment because uh, the stage directions say that she notices like you see her notice that it doesn't work this way and so in that way i think she is still up until the last coherent line she has as a character in the play she is still drawing new information from the poetry she's been studying her whole life yeah, so as if what she's realized at the end of her life is that the punctuation in that poem really is wrong. Death doesn't have a capital D. It's not a force to be reckoned with. It doesn't have a hard stop between life and then death. There's, It's not a big thing to lambast and act and personify death. It's just a small step, a small breath. That's the truth of death. And I think you're right that she is bringing to us, to our attention in a very subtle way that maybe not everybody would even catch. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be pretty sharp and pretty with the play to catch it unless you were able to go back and read, which you would have the advantage if you were reading. Um, so, you know, it, it plays to the people who are sharp, who are paying attention. They're going to get this revelation, which she, as a person who is dying, experiences that we may not be able to experience unless we are dying. That there is yeah. no grand separation. Death isn't a force. It's just a thing that happens. That actually is a great tie because I love – there's a moment after she experiences – um, a bout of testing and chemo and et cetera that was especially harsh and leaves her pretty physically drained. She has a great little monologue where she says, my next line is supposed to be, I can't, it's such a relief to get back to my room after all those stinking tests. And then she says, so she says, that, that's supposed to be my next line. But the truth is, it's not a relief. A relief would be to be on the beach in Daytona, Florida. But <laughs> yeah. going back to my room after the tests is just the next thing that happens. I loved that characterization that it's not dramatic. You know, she sort of pushes against mm -hmm. trying to sensationalize her struggle. She, she points out several times that we're really only seeing the highlights of the struggle and not the monotony, the just the feeling of... This is what happens after this is what happens after this is what happens. And in that maybe that revelation about 
about life is part of part of part connects to that same feeling of the poem. You know, death isn't some major force. It's just the next. It's just a thing after the comma, a short breath yeah. and it's there. It's just the mm. next thing that happens. Yeah, that. Yeah, that is certainly like a really beautiful message. I this is. This is a hard play to not spoil because one of the I feel like we need to talk about the last <laughs> part of the play because it is such a huge part of it. I will try to be as like bouncing around the details as I can. Yeah, unless you let, want to stop me right there, here, there, Jacob. There's not really <laughs> this play doesn't really contain many surprises. If you haven't read it yeah. by the time you're listening to the podcast, first of all, you definitely should read it or you should yeah. see it or whatever you have the chance to do. Um, but yes, but if you haven't, I mean, she she's a cancer patient and she dies from cancer at the end. She tells you that's going to happen. There's not really a lot in it to surprise you. So let's just go ahead and talk about the last thing. I think you're right. The other thing that I do really want to talk about before we, you know, before the end of our conversation is we definitely have to talk about Susie. Um, I have a lot of yes. thoughts about that character, but let's go ahead and talk about the ending because it, it, what a, what a what a what a scene. What a scene. And I think it really applies to where we are right at this moment. So I'm glad we're doing it right now. Because I think where where she uh de-dramatizes everything through the whole thing and where things are subtle, this last scene is not. And I think it and think I think this is where this last last scene uh, this is where the 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 reading of the play suffers versus the seeing of the play. If you were invested in this character throughout the whole play, this last scene would mean a lot more than the than reading it, I believe, because there is this this it's a huge dramatic moment at the end. She uh, the doctor comes in and he sees that she is coding. She is she is dead, and uh, he calls well, let's in. Let's go back a, a little bit before that, Jack. So earlier yeah, in yeah. the play. Susie, who is her primary care nurse, has a conversation with Vivian where she asks her yes, what yep. she wants to do when Vivian's heart stops beating. Anybody who's been with somebody in the hospital um, knows that there are choices to be made about that. When a person dies, when their heart stops beating, you can be labeled as a code blue or a DNR. And the difference is if you become a code blue person, that means that when your heart stops beating – the medical staff is going to do everything possible to bring you back to life, to get your heart beating again. This, no matter what that means for your quality of life, that may mean you never wake up again, but your heart beats for a while. That might mean you spring right back up after some CPR and, you know, you have to recover from the CPR, but, you know, in general, you're coherent and cognitive again, but it may not. The other thing you can be is DNR, which is do not resuscitate. And for people who have lifelong chronic illnesses, you probably have made some decisions about this. You may wear a bracelet, which says what your decision is about this or something like that. And DNR means that if your heart stops beating, you're simply going to let it stop beating. You do not want to be rescued if that choice happens. So Susie asks Vivian what she wants to do. Vivian decides she's going to be DNR. So she does not want to be saved if her heart stops beating. So then the end of the play, when she finally dies... Dr. Jason, who's the he's the student, um, the more prominent of the two doctors, character-wise, um, he comes in and, like Jack was saying, go ahead, take over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's thank you for that clarification. The so Jason comes in and sees that she is unconscious and she is dead, and he begins the process of bringing in the crash team to bring to resuscitate her. Uh, without having, uh, it's it seems like this is a moment where his training has not yet taken hold. He is clearly not comfortable in this place. He just acts out of a gut reaction and connection yeah, to Vivian and to the research. And yeah. 
Yep, and he brings he brings the team in, and and Susie's in the room. the The primary care nurse is in the room with him, yelling at him to stop because uh, he because she is she is DNR. She is do not resuscitate. And eventually, he makes the realization that he has made this horrible mistake as the crash team comes in and begins trying to resuscitate her. And it's this huge chaotic scene. Everyone is yelling. Uh, the coat the 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 crash team Alarms is trying. Alarms are blaring. Yep, alarms are blaring in the hallway, in the room. They're 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 trying to resuscitate her in the middle of trying to figure out whether she should be resuscitated. And eventually it kind of culminates to Jason screaming, I made a mistake. And that eventually uh, brings it to a close. But during this, uh, Vivian gets up from the bed and as walks a, down like as a ghost person. She's right, not, right. She's yeah, clearly not right. being <laughs> her physical body. Yes, they don't like notice her getting up from the bed or anything. She is clearly uh, passed on to some extent, and she begins Which, to walk downstage. It, it, there's a huge yeah. connection there to some of the poetry that she uses throughout the play. She she has a favorite poem that she recites for us near the end, um, which talks about how gluttonous death will instantly unjoint my body and soul. So that has mm, happened yeah. to her now. That piece of poetry which she theorizes about and talks about and creates the right grammar structures for has, has actually had, that's not no That's no longer theory. Now her soul has been unjointed from her body and she is now a soul that we see in the scene, which I, I love that connection. Yes. And she kind of walks down, downstage towards a light and, uh, disrobes out of the, uh, kind of, you know, the, the horrible hospital gowns and, uh, stands completely naked at the front of the stage, reaching towards the light as, as the, the team realizes the, the mistakes that, that have been made and Jason deals with the ramifications of that. And that's the last moment of the play. Um, that is a, a highly evocative emotion filled scene uh, as the capstone it's, of this play. It, it is so energetic and loud and yeah, full of uh, just sound and fury to quote a different famous poet. Uh, it, it is so full of that, which the rest of the play is so not. I mean, this this last scene is everything the rest of the play isn't. It is confused. It is full of, uh, there's swearing in it, which there's really not for the rest of the play. There's yelling. Jason, this sort of professional researcher, is broken down to tears on the floor. Susie, this calm, collected, loving nurse, is screaming. L alarms are blaring where there's been only tedious silence. It is a huge departure from what we have experienced the rest of the play. Yeah. And it feels like, it feels like almost a, a sensory overload towards the end of this play. And it's, I mean, I can't imagine the, the amount of emotion that would be pumping through you while you sit in the theater <laughs> watching this final scene, right. especially I mean, after, kind after of, being conditioned. This is the kind of last scene where you'd have to wonder whether you were going to do a curtain call. Because yeah. to leave the, you know, it's this, it's this very patient, slow, conversational, intellectual play that then the final scene is this crazy, intense burst of everybody, blah, 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 plans. And I got, you yeah. got to feel like uh, there's just such a shock to the system that you just have to sit there 
And then, and then you'd be expected to stand up and clap and smile at how great everybody did. That would that <laughs> might be a little much. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. we, we have some friends who have done the play. I would be interested to know what they did. If any of y'all are listening, uh, when this gets released, comment, tell us what you did. I have no idea. Yeah. That's such a, <laughs> yeah. what an, what a crazy end to that play. Yeah. Just, just, and, and, and then, then to see that level of, you know, on one hand you have, you have the chaos, but then this person who we spent the whole play with transcends the border and goes on to something more, whatever that is. Uh, she goes to the other side of the comma and continues on into, into the next section of, of her life. And she is, I mean, I imagine as I'm, as I'm trying to picture this, I imagine that she is the image that you take away with you at the end. It's not the chaos in the background that eventually fades away. It's Vivian walking into that light. Yeah. Let me, let me see. Let me try to, um, create two thematic, um, interpretations of the final scene as it relates to that snippet of poetry, Jackson. And you tell me what, what, where you think that I'm closer to the truth. Oops, sorry. Okay. So, so one version would say there's this snippet of poetry about, you know, death, you were, you're, Death is, it's about death and life and the, the wrong punctuated quote unquote wrong punctuated version of it has death with a capital D has exclamation points and semicolons. It is loud. It is bombastic. It is very final. It's a stark separation between life and whatever comes after death. So one look at this end of the play is that that version of the poem, that version of the death and life connection has proved to almost be true that the end of Vivian's life does not seem to be a very calm breath, a very calm comma, a step into the next life. And that's all is a blink of an eye. It is a bombastic, yes. loud, uh, crazy death that almost feels more like the incorrectly punctuated version of that poem. On the other hand, the, whether Vivian lives or dies at that moment is entirely a flip of the coin. At, at that moment, if Susie had not been nearby and heard that there was a code blue called for Vivian, they would have resuscitated her. Assuming that that was possible and that she would have been able to be brought back, she would have been living still. So her life and death is not separated by much in that scene. Just on the happenstance that somebody who knew she was DNR happened to be there. Now, you know, you assume that if they had brought her back and she lived, Jason probably would have gotten in trouble. He probably will anyway. And they would have figured out that she really yeah. did not want that. So they may have corrected it for the next time. But that time she may have still been living. So the space between her death and life is very small. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't, I don't know that they have to exist separate from each other, um, <laughs> because they are, I mean, that I think it's, it's pretty, I think that was, that was my initial reaction to it was that this moment doesn't feel like her realization at the end. And it was right. a it, little bit it, jarring for me. It does not feel like calm comma that no. this, this small blip you know, I forget how the professor describes it, but it's, you know, it's it's very much about how thin the line is between death and life. And this does not feel like a thin line. This feels it feels like a loud not. exclamation it's, point. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in many ways, this this poem or the way this poem is interpreted is the opposite of the don't go gentle into that dark night. Like you expect this to be a peaceful end of some sort after that setup. And certainly as the audience member, it is not. Um, I mean, but, but you know, I, what's I, interesting I, is that it is for Vivian. Yes, I was just going to say that. one of the that, reasons yeah. why we get her in that scene. You know, she's not just a body. For her, you know, despite the chaos around her body, for her soul, which has been struck a joint from her body, it is uh, a quiet, thin, she's now something else. Now her life is different. There is no... Death, death has not, death has not won for Vivian, which is interesting. You know, this is, you know, it's a piece of art. So, you know, it's not a piece of religious commentary, but at least in this playwright's imagining of this story, Vivian's life has not ended with her death. Death has lost. There is, death has been killed. Yeah. There's clearly something more after it that she has transitioned into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it, you know, they, they talk about how the poetry of John Donne makes your head spin and forces you to turn yourself into these thinking knots. And the play does that to you at some yeah. points like this, too, where you try to think Definitely. about, well, she was calm, but the world around her was chaos, but her body was turning. It's, it's a, I mean, you know, this could be studied as a piece of poetry or a piece of, you know, as a... Um, you could you could maybe submit this play as a thesis on the poetry of John Donne on life and death yeah. and yeah the way it interacts with the human soul Absolutely. I'd say most of this play is actually a poem. Um, certainly her, her monologues are even written occasionally in here with poetic structure in them. They, mm -hmm. it, she is, she is, I mean, she has been steeped in this poetry for so long that of course she speaks in that manner. But um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. This is clearly uh, something more than just a, uh, a, uh, a more than just you know a written linear play this is clearly meant to evoke more just by virtue of its writing and the words she is speaking than necessarily what the plot is pushing forward and some of the images in the play in a similar way to the way that images are used in poetry are very strong and it, this might lose something for the reading of it because you know some of the jokes I don't think you can really read for example I, I know that at the beginning of the play there's a stage direction about how she's got this you know she's got this pole for her IV bags and it's with her for most of the play and at the beginning of the play there's an instruction that every time she picks up the IV pole it should have a different combination of fluids on it which probably in the seeing of it would be a pretty funny uh, scene <laughs> connected, you know, the different different right. potions that she's being handed every time she gets a pull. But you sort of forget about that kind of an image in the reading of it or how striking the image of, you know, her getting a pelvic exam done by one of her former students would be visually. Right. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think this is definitely a play. It, it, I mean, it, it reads well, obviously, but this is definitely a play that will have much more for you to experience when you go see it in addition to the reading of it. And I, I'm interested. We should talk about Susie because I think this might help us capture 
we, this might help us capture a little bit here. Um, what, what I'm interested in is what Vivian finds of herself at the end of the play. Uh, and the reason there, so the, their primary care for or her primary nurse is named Susie and she takes care of her throughout the play. And Susie is sort of the anti Vivian and the anti Jason. She is not an intellectual. I don't think she's dumb. She's a bright, bright person, but she's not a, she's not an academic and she is caring deeply about her patients. You get the feeling she is in her profession because she has a lot of love for caring for people. And that's probably true of all nurses. Shout out to nurses. Y'all do a great job. Uh, (laughs) You care a lot about the people you take care of. And that Susie's a great portrayal of that. And so to see her up against characters like Vivian and Jason it's, you know, they're so starkly in opposition. And that, you know, they, 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 they clash, especially Susie and Jason, because they're both, you know, the kind of the primary forces in taking care of Vivian. And Jason is interested in the research of it. And he is more interested in, you know, her, the numbers and the charts and what he can learn about the medical research from Vivian. And Susie is far more interested in taking care of Vivian, seeing her through a tough journey. And so they clash a lot in the caring for Susie. What, what do you think, Jackson, what do you think Vivian gets from that, from knowing someone, knowing Susie? Yeah, I think that, well, certainly Vivian uh, in that moment gets where she kind of breaks down in front of Susie and and needs uh, someone to comfort her. She gets someone who in the moment shares a real genuine uh, vernacular slice of life around a popsicle with her. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, she yeah. she gets she she shares this real moment of just a story that she tells her about growing up, and and suddenly she is grounded in the moment. You you I mean she Vivian then critiques herself the moment after as the narrator and <laughs> says like isn't that insufferable that I needed to do that or whatever. Yeah. Um. But but still in the moment. It is absolutely necessary. It's what she'd been trying to get from Jason in the other scene was just a little bit of of meeting her where she's at to to kind of share in this to share share the someone to share the experience with her to eat a popsicle with her is is something that was missing from the, the intellectual approach and it's missing from their, their, both of their intellectual approaches. It's, you know, the, the connection of having someone with which this material means something to, and letting that be the validating effort of your work as well, uh, is something that is, that is separated from the completely cerebral approach to the attainment of wisdom that both Jason and Vivian have. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a sense that Susie has captured something out of life that Vivian and Jason have not. She's captured the ability to deeply care about someone and that inserts for Vivian maybe the thing that that has that has been missing from her life. Case in point in one of the most poignant images for me of the play 
Vivian is dying. This is after she has given us her final goodbye and given us the incorrect, the, you know, the grammatic, the punctuation, incorrect version of the poem and said she doesn't really have anything more coherent to say during the play. She is, she's dying and she has not had any visitors yet to see her other than Susie and her doctors. And finally, in her last moments, she is visited finally by her professor, Professor Ashford, from when she was a graduate student. Professor Ashford says, I was just, you know, I was visiting the, my grandkid and I was going to stop by your office and they told me you were in the hospitals with cancer. So I thought I'd come and see you. But Vivian is in the throes of death and the professor, this wonderful, wonderful person you can see, crawls up into bed with her, kind of cradles her. And she, she wants to know how she can comfort her. Professor says, should I recite some Don to you? Should I recite some of John Don's poetry? And Vivian goes, no, no. <laughs> and so what she yeah. reads her instead is um, that children's book about the the little bunny. What's it called here? The runaway bunny, which if you've ever had it read to you, is it's it's a cute little book. It's about the you know this bunny, this kid bunny who wants to run away, and mother says, "If you run away, I'll follow you." And he says, "I'll become a fish." Well, then I'll turn into a fisherman so I can catch you and bring you home. Well, I'll turn into a bird. Well, then I'll become the tree. Uh, so she, you know, the mother follows him, and eventually the bunny just decides that he should stay. And that is what Vivian is comforted by in her final moments when she is experiencing life and death. This thing that she writes about, this thing that she should know a heck of a lot about after writing so much about what John Donne has written about it, ultimately, the, that poetry is of no comfort to her in death. What is comforting to her is the loving arms of her professor, somebody who deeply cares for her, and a story about a family, about a mother's love for a son. That is what she brings that's what that's what provides her with something as she's dying. And I, I find that very profound that she has written so much about life and death and teaches on metaphysical poetry. Yeah. Yet she has to discover what what the real life of what, not just the theoretical academia of it is, but what the reality of it is, you know, and we were talking about the end. This has just occurred to me. Jason does this. He has to learn the same thing. Not, he doesn't learn it through a nice picture book and the company mm. arms of friend. He has to learn it by making a grave mistake. That yeah. Actually involves someone's life and death. No longer is he just a researcher who is just learning about the intakes and outtakes of cancer cells. He has to, he's forced to make an anic level decision about someone's life and he makes the wrong one. Yep. For both of those characters, this thing that they thought they knew so much about is brought finally to a crux and they they both discover that they are lacking so much. Wow. That's so true. They both, I didn't think about that before, but they both have that, that realization in the, in, by the end of the play. And Jason's is just heartbreaking and awful as in the same way that, and not in the same way, but in a different way that Vivian's is, which is Vivian is kind of in the throes of something completely out of her control. 
Which, when she makes this realization. Which is so much what life is like, right? Because unless you are, unless the control is taken away from you, like it is from Vivian, and then you learn by being out of control, the other way that we humans learn is by making terrible mistakes when we're in control. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's, you know, the life and death learning. Jason, who is the one that gets to keep living at the end of the play, his, his life his life lessons come through his mistakes. And Vivian, who's the one that dies and goes on to another life at the end of the play, her life, hers come by losing that control of her life. And finally realizing maybe, or, you know, I, it's so hard to know whether she, so hard to know. Yeah. Whether she really, you know, if the character turned around from walking into the light and gave us a summary of what she learned, would one, would she have actually learned it? Or is it really, a learning for the audience. But I mean, maybe both. Yeah, we definitely don't get the closure necessary. I, but I think that that's good because it does not cross the realm back into parable like we were talking about earlier. This this still lends itself to this real life situation that happens to many, many people. And uh, we are left with the ramifications. Jason is left with the ramifications of what this did within her life and then the life of the people around her. Yeah, and, and, you know, beyond just learning about life and death, one of the things that the play might teach us is that the things that we put in front of our nose the most are those things which we ultimately might know the least about. This and you know now that I'm thinking about that, yeah, ex explain. She, <laughs> yeah, she um she has a great exchange where she's doing a flashback to when she was teaching Vivian when she was teaching, and she's getting she's in, kind of in a back and forth dialogue with one of her students, and her one of her students is saying, well, why does why does John Don make everything so complicated? It's like he's running away from the answers, like he's refusing to really engage with the real answers of life, instead just sort of hiding behind his wit and his intellect. And Vivian is kind of sort of making fun of the undergrad student saying, you know, that she's got some good insights here, but they can only go so long before they dissolve into blubbering. And what the student seems to be trying <laughs> to get out before they finally kind of can't find the words is, is something along the lines of that idea that, that those things which we study the most or put in front of us the most are the things which we are most blind to. Vivian studies metaphysical discussion in the form of poetry. Jason studies cancer. And yet, faced with the true reality of both of those things, they find that they don't really have that much knowledge at all. And then, in fact, Susie, the nurse who does, you know, who, who's, whose knowledge is from relationships and from, I mean, from nursing school. Nurses know a lot, uh, but is yeah. not the academic that Vivian or Jason is, that she might be the one with greater knowledge than either of them because she does not run from the human side of that knowledge. Yep. And in both, both of their lives, you see that come through. You see it come through in the moment at the end where she is the intercessionary force that keeps uh, Vivian's wishes intact. And then you see it, earlier on as her being the comforting force that comes into Vivian's life as well. Yeah. And, and you know, may, this might be the kind of play which will make deeper and deeper connections with the audience 
maybe the the more life that the audience has lived in, and not necessarily just meaning older but because the play says things that are you know even kind of hard for Jack and I to get out about trying to capture this sort of these sort of wispy vapors of ideas about yeah. uh you know the kind of wisdom that people who've lived a lot of life have that this is this is the play about learning about that life about this is you know the kinds of things you learn from real life from interactions with people not just research and not just theory but real true human life is very different from the theoretical discussions that you want to have about it. it the, the when you when you just talk academia and theory you don't it's not it doesn't come to the same um poignancy that real life has on those to say on those same subjects man i i i tell you what this is um one of the best plays that is popular that this is one of the best plays that's out there I yeah think. <laughs> um, Bo both in terms of just empirically what the play is about but also in terms of uh, ability to produce this show uh the the commonality of of the subject matter it is one of the better plays around still to this day even almost 10 oh gosh 1999 Almost 20, 20 years. years later. Ah, yeah, this, this yeah. play has staying power. Uh, this play will be around. It will be on the lists of best plays ever written for a long time, I think. It, it has these deeply human connections, this very witty, funny, interesting characters, these great relationships, these great conflicts. It is worth your time to produce to read if you can't see a production of it, to support, to act in. I mean, it's it's really, really, really good. And yes, it, you know, we ended up just talking a lot of human philosophy about it. But uh, there's there's a lot <laughs> to be said in you know how how you're gonna produce something this full of full of knowledge. Full. I mean, gosh, to play Vivian would require. <laughs> A level of research that mm -hmm. is, 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 I mean, she's, she's just so smart. She's so intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely. So intimidating. And, and the other, the, the really kind of cool thing about this play, which you don't always get in, in plays of the, of, you know, the Pulitzer caliber is this play has a couple different ways, has more than a couple, a bunch of ways that actors can take this story and pull you one way or another in. There's so much rich theme in it that you could focus on one one aspect or another and be just as rich uh, as a result of it by the end and it, that allows the audience as well to pull from their own backstory and where they come from and see what they need to see within the play as well yeah and you're gonna you're gonna experience something no matter how you engage with the play whether you're reading it or seeing it or performing it or producing it you're gonna experience something with the play that I think is that I, that has touched me on a very human level every time I've read it. And I, I think will touch you as well. Yeah. So read it, read it, do it, act in it, find it, and then tell us about it. 
<laughs> yeah, and we know, we, like we said before, we know uh, some of our friends have produced the play, have acted in it, or directed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have, if you have thoughts about it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. In co- you know, commenting on this podcast or talking with Jack and I separately, we're we're very interested in that production and, uh, yep. and and any production any of the rest of you might have done or seen or even just the reading for it. You know, this is a play that gets taught in dramatic literature classes, so you may have experienced it in a class format. What what was the, what were those conversations like? We're we're very interested in that. Yes, indeed. So reach out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram if you feel like it. And uh, or just in person with us. If you if you happen to be in one of our regions, you know, come out and get coffee with us and we'd love to talk about some more. So I think until next time, we will be uh, discussing another play in a week. So until then, I am Jackson Nikolai and I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>